dear Father in heaven, where is Elijah? Father, I just come before your throne asking for help this, this evening. Uh, there's no way in the world to communicate the truths of your scripture without the graces of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that you send angels that excel in strength to be in this place. That you speak through me and to me and you open our ears that we may hear the heartbeat of God. Please, Father, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. And I claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. This evening's title is The Elijah Training. The Elijah Training. Subheading, where is the rain? The Elijah Training, where is the rain? I need to tell you something from, from the beginning. You can't trust anything I say. And any man or woman, boy or girl who's preparing to see Jesus without seeing death in these last days cannot trust what any preacher says. What they must do? They need to get a pen. They need to get a piece of paper. They need to write it down and go back and see like the Bereans whether or not what is being spoken is actually true. Because I tell you the truth, the days in which we live are solemn and important. The days in which we live, God is walking up and down this campus. You didn't hear me. The God of heaven is walking up and down this campus looking for Elijahs, looking for individuals who he can speak through and live through in these closing scenes of earth's history. Before we get to Elijah, though, I need to do a biblical historical survey. We're going to begin in 1 Kings chapter 12, and we're going to walk. We're going to take our time until they start telling me there's 10 minutes left or 5 minutes left. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we're going to begin a survey, and we're going to understand the, the circumstances that led to Elijah coming on the scene. In 1 Kings chapter 12, and beginning at verse number 1, the Bible says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, was in, yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of the king Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve him. And he said unto them, Depart ye three days, then come again, and the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men, that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do ye advise that I answer this people? You know, the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there's what? There's safety. There's wisdom there. But you know, in a multitude of counselors, there could be foolishness too. The Bible says, continuing on in verse 7, And they spake unto him, saying, 
If thou would be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. Now watch what the young men said. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who gave spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put on us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father delayed you with heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chased you with whips, but I will chasten you with scorpions. Typical of young people, right? It's our time. We've been, we grew up, we've been waiting for this. It's our time to take over. And so let's make the job harder. Now, you tell me, you tell me. If that happened here at Southern and someone said, We're gonna, I'm going to put my pinky, my pinky's going to be stronger than my daddy's loins, what would the student body do? It would be a revolt, wouldn't it be? It would be a rebellion right here on campus. And this is what happened with the children of Israel. They rebelled. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. I'm laying a foundation. I'm actually setting you up very well. The Bible goes on to say in chapter 12, jump down now with me, jump down, chapter 12, verse 25. Now the ten tribes to the north are now ruled by Jeroboam. They have made Jeroboam king. Verse 25 says, then Jeroboam built Shechem, built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and bent Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me. And go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of what? Now, this is strange to me. I'm, I'm just studying the Bible with you right now. This is strange to me. You know, this happens many years after the children of Israel have left Egypt. And you know the story well, don't you? Aaron makes a golden, what? Makes a golden calf. And everybody bows down and gets crazy. And they start doing the Harlem Shake and all those wonderful things. They start start doing all these things around this golden calf. And now this man somehow forgets history and builds two golden calves. One's not good enough. I want you to think with me right now. We're talking about where is Elijah? Where is the rain? So they build two golden calves, and the Bible goes on to describe what type of people he set over the worship of this golden calf. The Bible says, jump down with me. The Bible says in verse 32, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that was in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel priests of the high places, which he had what? Look at verse 31. And he made a house of high places and made priests of what kind of people? The lowest people. Any common person could be a priest. There was no requirement now in the priesthood. Anybody, everybody was qualified. 
I'm laying a foundation. So now Jeroboam does this. Now now watch what the Bible says happens after Jeroboam proceeds to implement these two golden calves to stop the young people from leaving the church. Are you paying attention? We don't want them to leave the church. So what we're going to do, we're going to build something that they can worship so that they can relate to in their culture. I'm just laying the foundation. I may never be brought back here ever again. First Kings chapter 14. First Kings chapter 14. And Jeroboam has done this sin and many things have transpired and God now sends judgment via his prophet and speaks clearly to Jeroboam that none of your house. Look at verse 14, chapter 14, verse 14. It says, moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day. But what? Even now. So in other words, Jeroboam, because you've done this great sin, your offspring will not continue to rule in the place of the king. Continuing on. Chapter 15. Now Jeroboam has a son. His son's name is Nadab. Jeroboam has a son. His son's name is Nadab. Look at verse 25. The Bible says, And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned over Israel how many years? Two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sins wherewith he made who to sin? So I remember reading this, and I was, when I've done call for the work and lead, lead teams, there's a quotation that stays right in my mind. Education, page 262, first paragraph, first sentence. The spirit manifested by the leader will be to a great extent reflected by the people. So here Jeroboam causes Israel to sin, and now his offspring, his son, is following in the exact same footsteps. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 33. So now God sends someone to kill Nadab, because he only lives for two years, and he's killed. And now watch 33, it says, In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, began Basha, the son of Ahijah, to reign over all Israel in Terzah, twenty and four years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sins wherewith he made Israel to sin. Do you see it? There's a ripple effect in one act of sin. There's a cause, an effect that goes on and on and on. Basha, Nadab, Jeroboam. Notice what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, look at verse 12. It says, Thus Zimri destroyed all the house of Basha according to the word of the Lord, which he spake against Basha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sin of Basha and the sins of Elijah his son, by which they sinned and by which they made Israel to sin, in provoking the Lord of Israel to anger with what? With vanities. Verse 15. In the twenty-seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, did Zimri reign seven days in Terzah, and the people encamped against Gibthon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people rose up against Zimri because he goes and, and he does uh, assassination. Look at verse 19. For his sins which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin which he did to make Israel to what? Now, please keep this in mind. When they made these golden calves, they put this calf over here in Bethel and this one over here in the other province. When they made these two golden calves, they weren't to a false god. 
They made these golden calves. Remember Israel, I mean, remember uh, uh, Aaron, when he made that golden calf and he built it, he said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of Egypt. So he made a god and said, via this imagery, I want you to worship the God of heaven. And this is what he's causing Israel to do. They're not worshiping a pagan god right now. They're worshiping a golden calf as if they're worshiping the God of heaven. I wonder if there's any type of worship that reflects golden calf activities as if we're giving it to God when it's really not acceptable to him. And I wonder if we're making Israel to sin worse. I'm just asking the question because I still have to go home. First Kings chapter 16, look at verse 25. Now, Omri comes on the scene. It says, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were what? So he did worse than Jeroboam, worse than Nadab, worse than Basha, worse than Zimri. He, he did worse than all. He did worse than all that were before him. Verse 26, for he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord of Israel to anger with vanities. Now, this is the sixth king. You might know this seventh king that's coming up. His name is, what do you think his name is? Ahab. If you read it ahead in the story, his name is Ahab. He's the seventh king. Now, watch carefully what the Bible says about him, beginning at verse 29. And in the 30 and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidodians, and went and served who? Well, that's a whole nother level. Because all the other times now, they had simply made a golden calf to worship the God of heaven. Now, each sin has progressively led the people of God further and further from God, and now Ahab has taken us to Baal. Now, if you understand Baal, I'm talking to grown-ups in this room. Is that right? Baal worship included sexual orgies. You guys know that, right? Where they would have groves and they would cut off the groves, and in order to worship their gods, they would have these sexual rites that they would engage in. And how is it, how is it that a Seventh-day Adventist remnant people could come from worshiping the true God in the temple to simply a golden calf to complete apostasy. What is it that has happened? And now, mind you, friends, this is a story of something that happened in the past, but it really tells what's transpiring in God's people today. It's really expressing what's happening amongst the people of God in this last hour of earth's history where the people of God feel comfortable in their, 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 their religious activities but not knowing that God is far from them. Now the Bible brings us to the point that we're all very familiar with. We grew up with these stories, those big blue books, the, the, those My Little Friend books. I, I have an image in my mind when I read chapter 17, verse 1. You know, Elijah walks into the room and his fingers pointed at Ahab. There will be no rain. <laughs> right? That's all, that's all I see it in my mind. I see Elijah's walking in, the guards standing there, they don't, they don't even know what's happening, and he walks right in. 
Now, there's more to this story. I didn't know it when I was younger growing up, but there's more to this story. Please look at the verse. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says about Elijah and this event. Notice what it says. It says, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Now, that's interesting to me. I, my daughter and I, she's five. My daughter's five. I, I didn't tell you about her. She's five years old. We're going through the book of Judges right now. And she's going through and she's, 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 she's enjoying it this morning when we were having a devotion. And I, just, I read to her from the Bible in the morning. You know, the prophet says that if we were to read to our children the Bible, they would declare the book the most wonderful book in all the world. So when worship is over and I'm almost finished reading the story in the book of Judges, we just finished this morning. Who was it? I think it was Jephthah when he killed his daughter. That's a tough story, isn't that a tough story? But my little daughter, when I was done reading, she said, Daddy, Daddy, keep reading. I want another story. Five years old. Loves the Bible. They would declare the Bible the most wonderful book in all the world. If all the distractions were put away, this book would be most precious to them. So Elijah stands before the king from Gilead. Read through the book of Judges. Many great men came out of Gilead. And said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to what? But according to what? Interesting phraseology there. How in the world did Elijah know and how did he have the confidence to walk into a room and say, look, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to rain. He didn't say according to the word of God. Did you hear what I'm saying? He said, it's not going to rain based on my word. Now, look, listen to me. There needs to be some Elijahs in here. There needs to be some Elijahs that understand what it means to commune with the God of heaven and know when it's time to walk in somewhere and say, hey, this program is not going to succeed. God is not in this. Well, people are afraid to speak up. Because we don't know the word. Listen to me. We don't know the word. Elijah, what I found out was that Elijah was studying the Bible. I didn't know it. I didn't know Elijah had studied the Bible. I didn't know that he went in and by faith walked in before Ahab. Elijah was not in his room holding his fingers like this in a lotus position. Um, that's not what he was doing. Elijah was not in the room praying, and then light come in, and then he got up and went to Ahab. Elijah read something. I'm going to show you what he read. I'm going to show you what Elijah read, and I'm going to share with you, if you understand, when you begin to understand the realities of what it means to be a child of God and what it means to have the Word of God at your disposal, there's nothing that can stand against you. Nothing. That's why I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of God. Some people think I'm nervous because I'm afraid. I'm not afraid of you guys. I'm afraid of God. And when I say I'm afraid, I'm, I'm saying I'm not afraid of him like he's going to kill me. I just want to represent him right. Go with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 26. I want to show you what Elijah was studying, how he knew there would be no rain. Leviticus chapter 26. We're going to begin reading. Verse number 11, and it's interesting, I mean, we could start further up, but we're just going to start at verse 11, and we're going to read through. Pay attention, I'm, I'm building a case here for you. 
Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 11, it says, And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. That means hate you. And I will walk among you and and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, that ye should not be bondmen. And I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. But if ye will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if ye will despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgment so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my what? You break my covenant. I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ag that shall consume the eyes of, and cause sorrow of your heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and you shall be slain for, before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursue you. I, I want to stop right here and just, I want to stop and I'll put this in a capsule. You see, this information here is talking about agriculture. You're going to plant a seed, but you're not going to benefit from the harvest. You're going to do evangelistic work, but you're not going to benefit from that. But why? What has happened? Can you go out and give Bible studies and preach and teach and do it in vain? The answer is yes. Do you know why we've been here 168 years past our time? We're past time, long time. We should have been off this planet. I remember, I remember growing up. And going to church, and they said, this is what they told me. When the gospel is preached to the world, then Jesus comes. And I remember thinking to myself, has God seen the church? No, really, I'm asking the question, has the God of heaven seen the church? This church ain't preaching to the world. Do you know how many people are born in this one minute right now? You know how many people are leaving the church right now? How in the world are we going to do something impossible when this gospel is preached to all the world? What, what is God going to do to make this thing happen? We're sowing our seed in vain. How many times have you gone to church and heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, been revived and gone back to nothing, been revived and gone back to nothing, been revived and gone back to nothing? How many times? How long are we going to keep doing that? How many army conferences? How many GYCs do we have to go to? How many Bible studies and Sabbath? How long are we going to be down here and be comfortable in this world of sin? You, listen, you can't tell me you're not comfortable. You, 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 cannot, you cannot tell me you're not comfortable. There's a verse in Romans 6.16, and you, you don't have to turn there, but you can just because you don't trust me. <laughs> in Romans 6.16, it says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether what? Sin unto what? Death or obedience unto what? So every time you and I choose to break God's law and his commandments, we're serving another master. Don't don't respond. I'm going to ask you a question. You just answer it in your own mind. How many times have you chosen Satan this week? Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. How many times this week have you chosen the enemy of your soul? How many times this week have you put Christ to open shame? But then we say, hey, I want to go home to heaven. I love Jesus. That's a lie. It's a lie. See, the reality is the Bible says the heart is deceitful above how many things? Do you believe the Bible? I'm going to test you. 
It didn't say everybody else's heart. It's talking about my heart. My heart. Keep reading. The Bible says in verse 18, And if ye will not, and if ye will not yet for all these hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as what? I will make your heaven as what? Iron. And your earth as what? That sounds like there's no ring. I will make your heaven like iron and your ground like brass. There will be no ring. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Notice here what the Bible says. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Here again, God is speaking blessings. And then he puts that cautionary word in there. Take heed to yourselves. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning of verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. It says, and it shall come to pass if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with how much of your heart? All your heart and with how much of your soul? So is half soul serving good enough for God? Is part of your heart good enough for God? No. All. If you do this, the answer is that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mightest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. When it rains, you're going to have a harvest. But wait, there's more. 16 says, take heed to yourselves. That your heart be not deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up what? He shut up the sky, he shut up heaven, that there be no rain. And that the land yield not her fruit, lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So it's very simple. Elijah read the Old Testament. He read Leviticus 26. He read Deuteronomy chapter 11. He remembered Solomon's prayer at the temple, and he said, God, it's still raining. It's not supposed to rain when they are breaking your word, so I'm going to do something. Notice what the Bible says in James chapter 5. Notice what the Bible says. In James chapter 5, Elijah does this. He sees it. Notice what the Bible says in James chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading verse 17. Watch carefully. James chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Elias, another name for Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he did what? I didn't hear you. What did he do? He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Did you get it? Elijah studied the Bible. He saw the word. He saw the people are still being blessed when they're not supposed to be blessed. So he said, God, I'm going to do something. Please don't let it rain. And it says he prayed earnestly. It was, a, it was an intense prayer. Do not bless them anymore with rain because the rain is not going to benefit them. I must remove the rain so they can feel the pain. If they feel the pain, maybe they'll turn back. If they feel the struggle, maybe they're turned back to the true and living God. And it took 
three and a half years, and Elijah is praying. He's praying according to the word. Listen to me. Listen to me. In our education, less reason, more word. When you go to Sabbath school and somebody says, I think, automatically that person is not reasoning properly. Reason is subject to the word of God. The Bible says it's the appropriate answer in Sabbath school. Not I think I feel, I hope I wish. But the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. And Elijah, I'm going to show you something about Elijah. I'm, I'm going to show you something about Elijah. Elijah lives only by the word. So when you read, and, 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 uh, when you read about Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, God intentionally now puts this in the story of Elijah. Watch. Go with me now. First Kings chapter 17. Go back to First Kings 17. Watch now. Elijah now lives directly according to the word. Everything from his actions now, from saying to the king, there'll be no rain. He has now prayed that according to the word, and there's no rain. Now, watch what the Bible says. First Kings 17, verse 2. Watch. It says, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee thence, get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the book cherub that is before Jordan. Well, how did he know to go? The word of the Lord came unto him. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to what? So even his food, though it came through a raven, came by the word of the Lord. Y'all not listening to me. You, you see, we've been tricked. We've been tricked. You see, you've been taught, you've been taught, and I've been taught, that in order to live, we must go to school and get a four-year degree. Listen, this is what we've been taught. That in order to live, I must get a four-year degree, and then in order to be a pastor, I must go get my doctorate in divinity, which then teaches you how to reason above how to trust the Word of God. See, we've been taught to reason above the word. And so now, instead of trusting the reality that God provides all of my needs, despite if I'm employed by a a Sears Roebuck or J.C. Penney or by a Southern University, I am going to live according to the word of God because God is the one that provides. You see, you're not talking to a man that's speaking out of his mouth, out of his own neck in this experience. God provides for me and my family. There are times when we had absolutely nothing. Nothing. Father, where's the next paycheck coming from? I don't ask men where my paycheck's coming from. Father, where's my paycheck coming from? According to the word, I will provide for you, Andre. There are few that live according to the word in these days. They live according to their own intellect and their own understanding. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your what? Own understanding. In how many ways? All your ways acknowledge him. And what will he do? Well, how many paths? Just his path, his way, his way. You want a husband? Huh? Some of you in school, he's here looking. Is he the one? Is he the one? I remember being at Oakwood. I was walking by the Wade Hall. That's that girl's dorm. And I was walking by and I was thinking, is she in there? <laughs> and I remember God speaking to me, the still small voice, and he does do that. 
Don't trust what a theologian tells you if he says God doesn't speak to you. He speaks to you. The Bible says you will hear a voice behind you say, this is the way. So I was walking by the girl's dorm, and I said, Father, is my wife in there? The Lord said, no. Do you know what? From that point on, I never looked for a wife on campus. I wasn't going to deviate. I wasn't going to go in now and figure it out and make my own wife at the school. Do you know what you're going to, if you make your own husband, do you know what the Bible says your life is going to be like? Spirit of Prophecy says it will be like a dark cloud that just follows you for the rest of your life. And you can attest, if you watch relationships today, it's like dark clouds. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? And maybe at another time, I'll tell you how God gave me my wife. I'm, t- I'm telling you, he gave her to me. And it's nothing like knowing that God is the one leading. And the only way you know that God is leading is if you're staying in the word. You're trusting in this book. You got the pen of inspiration and you trust what inspiration says, not what you see. Because she could be fine, brothers. She could be a deadly black widow. He knew to move because the word said move. Notice what the Bible says. Keep reading with me. 1 Kings 17, verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, let me ask you a logical question. Now, this is logic. If water disappears... Will you stay there or would you look for more water? You would naturally, in your humanity, demand that I should go somewhere else to find the water. Is that right? Is that what Elijah does? No, the Bible doesn't say that. Notice what the Bible says about Elijah. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have what? commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Did you see it again? Elijah, the brook dries up. He doesn't move. He stays right there until the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him to move. When the Lord of the Lord tells him to move, the word of the Lord now tells him, guess what? I've provided someone to take care of you. Every movement, movement Elijah makes is based on the word. I wonder if God's people in these last days live their lives like this. Whether it's a career, whether it's a husband, whether it's a job, whether it's how you dress, whether it's what you eat. I wonder if every decision that you make, you say, Father, my life is not my own. I submit my thoughts and my feelings to you. I, I want to reflect you in every way, that I, every way possible. Please direct me. I wonder if a people starts living like that, what type of reformation? would take place amongst the people of God. Notice, it's not done yet, though. Now watch the story. It says in verse 10, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks. 
that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and do what? Apparently, she didn't get the word from the Lord. Are, are you listening to me? So bef- this, the woman apparently does not get the memo from heaven as yet that she's so supposed to provide for Elijah when she has nothing. This is strange thinking. I, I want you to start changing how you think about God and his word. If God tells you to go somewhere and you have no money, how are you going to get there? The Lord will provide. Is that right? All of God's biddings are his what? Enablings. If God says, let there be light, what happens to the light? It comes. God is not a man that he shall lie. When he speaks, it is done. So if God tells me, Andre, I want you to start a missionary training school. I said, Lord, how do I start a missionary training school? I don't know how to start a missionary training school. He said, Andre, I just told you to start a missionary training school. So what do I do? I go start a missionary training school. Guess what? I have a missionary training school. Did I know I was going to start a school? No, I didn't know I was going to start a school. The Lord told me. He showed me. I'm reading. I'm convicted by the word and spirit of prophecy. There needs to be a missionary training school where young people can learn how to study the Bible, trust the word of God, walk in faith, live missionary-minded lives. There needed to be a school like that. Well, I don't know how to start a school like that. Boy, I told you to start a school. We have a school. Started in my house. My wife was one of my first students. I'm telling you a true story. It's real. And there needs to be a people in these last days in this Elijah training that as they're walking, they're walking according to the word, and they don't need to see what God said. They just need to obey what they heard God said to do. So now, verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first. I thought that was selfish. (laughs) But then I see that this was God testing her faith. Go and make me a little cake first and bring it unto me, and after me, and after make for me thee and for thy son. And, you know, Elijah is a representation of God. So in this essence, when she's making the cake for Elijah, she's really making the cake for the Lord. And God is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what? And if you do for him, he's going to add everything else unto you. If Elijah had never came to that house, that woman would have died. If Elijah had never come, she would have been off the scene. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord shall send rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by who? There needs to be some Elijahs in this room. Now, notice what happens now. The, the lady's son dies. Elijah is perplexed. Elijah is perplexed. Look at verse 19. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil unto the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? So does Elijah have faith at this point? Is, 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 is this a faith prayer? No, he's frustrated. 
God brought me here. It seems like this is turned against me. Lord, what are you doing to me? I remember my, um, my wife, we lost our, one of our pregnancies. Then we lost another pregnancy. So at that point, I'm like, Lord, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I exercise. I do all the Ten Commandments, at least in my mind when I say that self-righteously. Why are you letting my child die, but some crackhead has babies and their babies live? Right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Elijah's asking the same question. He's having the same perplexity. He's having the same fight within himself. Why is this happening to me? And I remember as I was sitting in the hospital, nearly in tears. I wasn't going to cry in front of people, not at that point. Nearly in tears, I remember sitting there, and the Lord asked me a question. Do you trust me? That's it. Do you trust me? I can't see the end from the beginning, but guess who does? The God of heaven sees the end from the beginning. He knows what is best. He measures and weighs every temptation before he allows it to come upon the believer. Measures and weighs it. What's your name, little sis? What's your name? Julie. So Satan says, I'm going to put a temptation on Julie. God says, hold on, let me measure that. Nope, too big for her. But when it comes to you, sister, when it comes to you, God trusts you. When he measures and weighs it, he says, I trust you. Every time you're tempted, he says, I trust you, brother. I trust you. I know I've measured it. I have provided a way of escape. If you just lean on my word, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own flesh. Don't lean on your intellect. Trust my word. I've measured it and I've weighed it. And every temptation that he sends only makes a man stronger who depends upon him. Everyone, I don't care what it is. A man struggles with pornography, guess what? God allowed it. Why is he allowing it? Because he wants you to stop trusting in your own strength. A man struggles keeping his eyes on his own wife instead of looking at a bunch of other people. A woman can't, keep to, can't seem to keep money in the bank account. She spends it on her shoes all the time. Woman has a hard time submitting to her husband. Why does this happen? Because he's trying to help us understand, don't trust yourself. But wait, there's more. Jump, jump down to verse 24. Of course, Elijah prays over this child. And notice what the Bible says the woman's reaction is to, to Elijah. Verse 24, and the woman said it to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of what? And that the word of the Lord in thy in thy mouth is truth. Immediately my mind went to the 144,000. In their mouth there is no what? No guile. I know now, not because of everything you said before. I know the water and the cruise oil was coming. I knew all that stuff. But now you brought my child back to life. Every word in your mouth is truth. I wonder if that could be said about you. I wonder if it could be said about me. Let's hasten now. The time is fleeting. 
You know the story. Elijah now is about to leave. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. And it said, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain where? Upon the earth. So now, again, Elijah stays exactly where he's supposed to stay until the word tells him it's time to go. When he leaves, he goes based on the word. He gathers everyone at this mountain, and there's a challenge. You know the story. They're jumping up and down, cutting themselves. Elijah starts making fun of them. If your God's real, why, why isn't he, you know, coming? Is he on a trip? Is he, you know, he just starts mocking their God. I want us to see verse 30. And here I'm going to, by God's grace, try to make it as plain as possible. Verse 30 says, And Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He went back and rebuilt that old worship style. Dusted off those old hymnals. Huh? He put things back in that old way. Why do he put it back in the old way? Because it's the, the old way helped people see who the real God was. All the fluff and the drama and the extraness is distracting from the real. It's a substance. Listen to me. Can, can I ask you a question? Listen, I want the real thing. See, I, I, in my mind, I am not a seven-day Adventist because my parents were. I'm not believing the Bible because somebody told me to believe the Bible. I went back and I read and I studied and I studied all the religions. I wanted to know all the religions. I went through all the religions. I wanted to know for myself, what is this God? If there is a God, who is he? Then once I established that there is a God, then I said, if you did that for Moses, you part red seas for him, you're not a respecter of persons. That's what your Bible says. Your Bible says you're not a respecter of persons. So if, if in the early rain and the Pentecostals poured out and God's spirit came into a room and the whole building shook, why can't it shake for me? Why do we have to bring in things that shake rooms? Because it's a false substitute for the real thing. Can you imagine if God really came into this room? Because I'm telling you, There's something stopping him. Listen to me. There's something stopping the rain from coming into this room. Jeremiah chapter 3 says that you have a whore's forehead, therefore there will be no rain. You refuse to be ashamed of your sins. Refuse. I don't want to be ashamed of my sins. So-and-so did it too. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I didn't do it like she did it. She get down dirty. I didn't get down dirty like that. Refusing to be ashamed of what broke the heart of God. So here is Elijah rebuilding the altar. He has a simple worship style. Gets down on his knees. Father, I know that you hear me, and I've, if you would just show the people that I've done all this according to thy word. Before he's done... Fire comes down from heaven and licks up the altar, licks up all the water around the altar, and the people cry out, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. No more confusion. 
Very plain, there's only one living God, only one creator of all of heaven and earth. The Lord, he is God. If there were a people that really believe and listen to me, listen to me. I think about this. If there was a, a 747 flying and landing on an airstrip and you were standing in the middle and the, tr- and the plane hit you, would you be changed? <laughs> yeah, right? You'd be changed, right? Okay, let me ask another question. I just want to make sure it's plain in your mind. There's a Mack truck coming at 85 miles an hour and you're standing in the middle of the road and it hits you. Would you be changed? Okay, hold that thought. If a truck and a plane can make a difference, why can't the God of heaven? The master of the universe who can speak and things happen, why can't your life be changed? This week, I'm going to share with you from my devotions. And what happens is, in my life, when I begin to study, uh, it has to come from my experience with God. So I've made a vow to God. I want to know what I'm missing. Because there's something missing. There's something I'm not seeing. There's something I'm not seeing about you and your character and your person. So I'm going to open the book, Desire of Ages. I want you to listen to me because somebody in this room is going to change tonight. I was reading about Calvary, and I was reading how they are mocking him and making fun of him on his way to the cross. And I was reading about the disciples, how they stood a distance from him, no longer close to him as he's marching to the cross. I was reading about his mother as she was crying, and she's just overcome with such grief that she falls faint, and the disciples carry her away. And then she comes back a few moments later, just she wants to, she wants to touch her son, she wants to hold him, but she can't hold him. I'm reading about the women that are sitting on the side and they're weeping for Jesus. And this is where I think majority of us come in. They're weeping for Jesus. They're sorry that he's dying, but they're not understanding what's happening. And then it came across one person. And I'm going to read to you about this one person. And it's Desire of Ages. I'm just going to start reading at 751. Since the bystanders caught the words as the thief called Jesus Lord. The tone of the repentant man arrested their attention. Those who at the foot of the cross had been quarreling over Christ's garments and casting lots upon his vesture stopped to listen. Their angry tones were hushed. With bated breath, they looked upon Christ and waited for the response from those dying lips. You know, the thieves cried, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. As he spoke the words of promise. The dark cloud that seemed to enshroud the cross was pierced by a bright and living light. The words of promise was, thou wilt be with me in paradise today. You will be with me in paradise. To the penitent thief came the perfect peace of acceptance with God. Now listen, listen. Christ in his humiliation was glorified. Now, you have to think with me because I know it got five minutes, but give me two more extra with the five. (laughs) Jesus is there on Calvary. Both of his hands are nailed to the cross. Both of his feet are nailed to the cross. 
Jesus is naked. The thief on the cross looks at Jesus, who's naked, hands nailed, feet nailed. And he does something that even his disciples do not do. He calls Jesus Lord. You see, everybody called Jesus Lord when the good times are going on. And everybody called Jesus Lord after he had risen from the grave. But nobody else called him Lord while he was on Calvary except for that one man. I wonder what he saw. You have to understand, if you're naturally looking at Calvary and you look at this man hanging on the cross, you don't call that naked man Lord. But the Holy Spirit illuminates his mind and there's a revelation to his understanding that this man on the cross is Lord. That did not come by Bible study. That came by revelation. Are you listening to me? Some of us know about Jesus, but we've never met him. Some of us sang about him, but we've never called him Lord. I wonder what that man saw that we didn't see. Now watch. It says, Christ in his humiliation was glorified. He who in all other eyes appeared to be conquered was the conqueror. He was acknowledged as the sin bearer. Men may exercise power over his human body. They may pierce the holy temples with the, with the crowns of thorns. They may strip from him his raiment and quarrel over his division. But they cannot rob him of the power to forgive sins. Elijah's standing there and he's saying, Lord, acknowledge. Show yourself as the true and living God. When that fire came down from heaven, it was a symbol of God forgiving the sins of Israel. So here's a question. I told you there's only one thing stopping the spirit from coming into this place. It's the refusal to be ashamed. It's the refusal of giving up your sin. God receives glory. When you give up your sin. Listen to me. The God of the universe receives glory. He takes honor. And taking something broken. And making it right. He ain't mad. The other day I was talking to a gentleman. He was having a mental breakdown. I was telling my brother. Telling my brother today. He was on his way out. I'm telling you. If I hadn't talked to him or my brother hadn't walked in and we had, we had interceded for this brother, he would have been gone. And the Lord impressed my mind. When you go in to talk to him, don't say anything. I walked in. I saw him. You know what I did, man? Don't, don't take this the wrong way. I went just like this. And I hugged him. I put my face next to his face. He cried for five minutes. Then I told him, I said, brother, I said, I love you. And you're forgiven. There's power. There's power. 
when he accepted that forgiveness, do you know that man, before I talked to him, he was having neck pains and back pains and ankle pains, all these pains in his body. But when he accepted the power of forgiveness from the Lord Jesus, the physical pain subsided. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the forgiveness of sin. And it's simply not a declaration in some book that happens in heaven. It's a declaration and it takes place in your life right now. I'm going to ask a simple question because it can rain in this room tonight. It doesn't rain because we have a whore's forehead. We refuse to be ashamed. I'm going to make an appeal. Father in heaven, I just ask, Lord, that you make it plain. And that the heart that needs to respond to this appeal, Lord, feels your assurance of your love. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.